My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Remember the old time preachers used to always start with a joke? I didn't say it was a good joke, but they used to always start with a joke. Well, I've got several for you. Little boy was the acolyte, and I know we don't have acolytes here, but he was standing in the back with his stick, ready to light the, the candles up front, and he's looking at all those plaques. Have you been to the churches? They have like the 50-year member plaque, and, and there's one there, and it, and it said, for those who died in the service. <laughs> and he's looking, and the pastor said, are you okay? He said, yeah, which service, 8.30 or 11? <laughs> Ah, another little boy was sitting with his mom right up front. The pastor had finished his sermon. He said, let's all rise and sing till the whole world knows. And the little boy looked at his mom and goes, we're going to be here a long time. <laughs> I want you to think about what people think about you. What do they think about you as a member or a regular attendee of the King's Community Baptist Church? And I got to tell you, I've been thinking about this all week long, and it ain't good. Our church is closed on Monday. Our church is closed on Tuesday. Our church is closed on Wednesday. Our church is open Thursday night. We're closed on Friday. We're open one Saturday of the month and Sunday mornings. That's sad. Our church lights are off more than they're on. Now, you can say, well, Doc, you run the counseling ministry on Tuesday and Wednesday nights, and I do. I'm here from 4 to 5 doing counseling. But let's think about it, folks. Our mission, if we were not members just driving by, our mission is to get to our assigned pew by Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. And that's the ministry of this church. Now, I'm not asking for any answers, but I want you to think about that. What is the ministry of our church? Because that's what Jesus did. He, he read the scripture. He said, I'm anointed. That was a fancy word to say, I'm the Messiah. In the Old Testament, they put oil on. Remember the oil running down Aaron's beard and... And Samuel went and he anointed Saul and he anointed David, right? There was an anointing. There was a covering with oil. Now, I, I know that most of you don't have a beard. I have a beard. And if you want your beard to be soft so that when your wife gently leans against you, you have to rub oil in it every day. Did you know that? I have beard oil on, on my sink. And every morning after the shower, I dry it off and... And it's unpleasant because it, it makes it soft for Vicky, but it makes it sort of slimy and greasy for me, yeah, right? Like those kids at school who are always putting lotion on, like you've got enough. If, if you were sliding down a hill, you just keep on going. You've got, you've got too much. But that's the idea. Jesus said, I've been anointed. I've been covered. I'm sticky. And I'm, and I'm covered with the glory of God. Or in the New Testament, to be anointed actually meant to lay on of hands. You remember that 
the apostles laid hands on the new believers and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm here with a purpose. And this is my purpose, to proclaim freedom to the captive. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. There are many ways to be held captive. Sin can hold you captive. Sickness can hold you captive. The psychology of your mind can hold you captive. There are lots of ways for the world to hold you captive. And Jesus says, I came to set the captives free. Recovery of sight to the blind. We talked about that. There are people that are blinded by greed or by sin. Some people can't see the forest for the trees, and some people can't see the trees for the forest. You can be blinded by business or work, or you can be too involved in your family and miss the opportunities for ministry. Now, in the older text, it doesn't say recovery of sight to the blind. It says to heal the broken and the bruised. I almost like that better. The church needs to be a place of healing. I have a friend who literally built his church into a thousand members running one ministry. Now that should perk your ears up. He ran one ministry? Yes, one ministry. Divorce recovery. Because divorced people do not feel welcome in your average church. Especially if it's a young divorcee with a couple kids. All the wives are like, don't you look at her. They're afraid that there's going to be temptation in the He said, oh, you know what? We're going to make a place for all of those people to be welcome. And he literally built his church on divorce recovery. You did not hear Dr. Madison say that divorce is acceptable in the sight of God. He did not say that. Don't tell other people he said that. But he did say that the church is a place where sinners who are broken and bruised, can be healed. It says he comes to give us liberty and freedom. Have you ever felt oppressed by your life? Do you ever wake up and go, I don't want to go to work today? I'm sure none of you say that, but on occasion, Vicki and I have said that. <laughs> Regular occasions. Any day that begins with why. I mean, let's, right? It's hard. It's oppressive. Sometimes work gets in the way of fun. Sometimes work gets in the way of ministry. And you say, but doc, you're a minister. I'm a bivocational minister. Sometimes I would rather be here and I have to be there. Or perhaps have to run out the door one Sunday to get to the opening curtain at the opera. Freedom. And then Jesus says, I love this. I've come to bring the Lord's favor, the Lord's blessing the year of Jubilee that they've never had. And we've talked about that before, that God actually had planned. Imagine this. I mean, I already showed you the check. I got to go pay the mortgage on Monday. Every 50 years, all of your debts were forgiven. And any family land that you had sold to fill in the gaps went back to your family. Isn't it sad when somebody walk, drives you through a town and goes, oh, that used to be my grandfather's house, or that used to be our farm, or that used to be, not in the year of Jubilee. God says, I blessed you with it, and it's your blessing forever. Now, in Jesus' time and in this church, they stood for the reading of Scripture. And it's funny that the Greek translated it a book, but it probably wasn't a book, it was a scroll, and 
they rolled it out and there was a prescribed order of reading. Now, we've talked about the fact that I was trained to follow the lectionary and I, I believe it keeps me honest and we, we plow our way, and I don't mean plow, but you know what I mean. We plow our way through the gospels so that we stay honest. We cover the whole life of Christ. We cover the good things he said. We cover the difficult things he said, the miracles. We work our way through. They had the same thing in the time of Jesus. So he did not select this text. I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit selected this text and said on the day that Jesus goes to Nazareth, that's the one they're going to open up. That's serendipity, isn't it? Sometimes we say, oh, isn't that a nice coincidence? No, the Holy Spirit is doing his work. Jesus stands and reads. Now, all of us have grown up in the church. Remember the first time you had to get up and read something in front of the church? You were humming, 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 and your, your tongue got stuck in the top of your mouth, right? And as you got better at it, and I, surprise, surprise, I was a good reader when I was little. Your parents are like, ah, oh, you did a good job reading that. So Mary is there, probably not Joseph. Mom's there, cousins, aunts, uncles. Jesus is going to read in church, and he's going to preach. There was a little bit of excitement. There was a murmur going on. And he read, and his Hebrew was wonderful. Why? Because he's the one who taught him Hebrew 3,000 years ago. My Hebrew professor used to tease the Greek professor that he would be unprepared when we got to heaven because God spoke Hebrew. And he reads, and then he sits. And Luke reports that all eyes were upon him. Well, they were upon him because he grew up in the town. They were upon him because he had just read the scripture. And they were upon him because in those days, I sort of wish it was these days, the pastor sat and the congregation stood. It's really hard to fall asleep during the sermon if you have to stand up. All eyes were focused on him, and it was perhaps the shortest sermon ever recorded Today, this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. Do I need to say anything else? And some people said, wow, Jesus, all grown up. I remember when he played soccer with the little kids down at the, the field. And I remember when he was, you know, went to my kid with Nazareth High. And they remembered all those things about Jesus growing up. And some people were like, who does he think he is? Now, we didn't read that passage today, but they wanted to take him out and throw him off a cliff. And if you've ever been to Nazareth, there are lots of cliffs to throw people off of out there. But Jesus came and fulfilled what God asked him to do, and then he returned to the Father. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 28 that we have an anointing to go and teach, make disciples, and baptize. Then we're back to where we started, are we? Are we fulfilling? Are we completing? Are we perfecting the work for which we've been called? Now, many churches say this, and I'm going to give you an out. You can say this, and you can go home, and you could have a nice lunch and feel no guilt or remorse from this sermon. You say, well, that's the pastor's responsibility. That's what we pay him for. There's a lot of churches that believe that. If, if something should be done, well, the pastor should be doing it. 
and we wait, and we watch, and we whine. And then our church doesn't grow. Who do we get to blame? The pastor. The question today is, who are we if God has anointed each of us to serve? Then who are we and what are we serving? Now, I'm not saying we need to have activity for activity's sake. But I'm saying that we need to look for opportunities to be fishers of men. And we got to use good bait. I worked with a church once when I was the head of Christian Endeavor. And the guy said, I don't know what's going on. We have Bible study every Wednesday night, and I only have three kids coming. I said, oh, what are you studying? He said, Leviticus. I said, I don't want to go. He said, what? I want the youth to know the law of God. I said, I want your youth to know Jesus. Uh, uh, You can't see this on the recording, but raise your hand if you would rush excitedly to a study of Leviticus. There are no hands being raised. I told you about the church with the hamburgers. Remember Brenda brought them in the next week? Right? What are we doing? Do you have a talent to share? Remember when churches used to have aerobics groups? They were doing jazzercise in the basement? Well, at the end of jazzercise, why not have a prayer? Share the good news. We're going to have a new kitchen. We could do cooking stuff. Uh, When my mom was younger, she taught the ladies how to make mittens. I don't know if this happened in your house, but every November, I had to put my hand on a piece of paper, and mom would trace it around, and that was the size of my mittens that I was getting that year. She knitted us our mittens every year, right? Uh, Do you know how to knit? Do you want to know how to knit? Do non-believers want to learn how to knit? The answer is yes. And if they come to knit, are we allowed to tell them the good news? Yes. Now, are we going to put them in a headlock and beat them with the NIV Bible? Do you want to know Jesus? No. We're going to love them into the kingdom. I never thought I would do a sermon on knitting, but here it is. What are your gifts? What do you have to share? And when you're sharing it, share the good news. Some of us, different than uh, a talent, might have a skill, something for which we've been trained. Uh, There's some larger churches that have CPAs that actually, towards tax time, help people do their taxes. Uh, There's a a Christian lawyer who goes around helping people do their NRND. I can't say it. And I'm married to a nurse. DNR. That's the do not resuscitate. And usually if you go to a hospital, they give you a, a cookie-cutter one. And, well, well, yes. And some of them are, are rather, how can I put this, drastic. And then when you say to the person who just signed the living will, which gives them the DNR, that's the medical term, right? They're like, oh, really? Yeah. And this lawyer goes around and he teaches classes on... This is what you could say. This is what you could not say. And this is how you prepare a living will that meets your needs. Vicki and I had this talk this week because a friend of ours, father, is in the throes of Alzheimer's, often doesn't remember who it is. And I said, Vicki, if I get like that, put me in a home. She said, what? I said, if I don't care, why should you put me in a home? I'm not sure I could do that. I said, put me in a home. 
do not let me drive you crazy. Put me in a home. And my beautiful wife looked at me like I was crazy. So it's on the record. It's going on Spotify this afternoon. If I have dementia and Alzheimer's, put me in a home. And I need a lawyer from New Jersey, because you're licensed in Pennsylvania, to help me document that. We could do that on Monday nights. The church is empty. We could do parenting classes on Tuesday nights. Our church is empty. We could do knitting classes on Wednesday nights. I have no idea how to knit, but you see where I'm going here. And every time we have a mission, every time we add a ministry, we share an opportunity to do our anointing and share the gospel. There are activities we could do together. I think I told you about the church in we couldn't do this in New Jersey, but in Western Pennsylvania, I know a church that actually teaches the young people rifle skills. They have a rifle team. They have a shooting range in the back of their church. And they come and the older kids teach the younger kids because that's hunting area. They give all the, the schools are closed on the first day of hunting season. The church said this is a need. And they have they have rifle classes. What do you bring to the table? What is your anointing? We could have OA, NA, CA. We could have NEA. As long as somebody was here sharing the gospel, divorce recovery, marriage enrichment, parenting, tutoring. Here's the question. If you read the scroll and sat down, what is your anointing? Don't think it's silly. Don't worry about the cost. If God has anointed you, he will find a way to pay for it. Don't worry about the risk. Who cares? It's your anointing. Remember that little boy sitting next to his mom? The pastor said, let's stand and sing till the whole world knows. The whole world needs to know our calling. The whole world needs to know our heart. The whole world needs to know our passion the whole world needs to see our example and our focus and fulfillment of the call that God has laid on us. If you're not sure what that is for you, we're going to steal from psychology. Uh, Viktor Frankl wrote a wonderful book. You probably had to read it in college called Man's Search for Meaning. The first 80% is his experience in the death camps in World War II and the theory that he built of psychology out of that. And he says everybody has to find their logos. And I find it very interesting that a Jewish man who did not read the New Testament chose logos, which is the word in John that we preached on a couple weeks ago, right? He chose that as the meaning for our life. He said you have to find your logos. And he says this, if you're not sure what it is, if you're too busy with work and all the other responsibilities, go back and and Look at the younger you and say, what was it that I wanted to be when I grow up? Remember when every little boy wanted to be a fireman and an archaeologist and Superman all at the same time? A little bit older than that. But there was a time when you said, I want to be that. There was a time when you came to know Jesus and you had a passion. Go back and look at that passion. Take it out. Polish it off. Say, is this what God wants me to do? What was your passion? Find it and share it until the whole world knows.
Amen.